0: All right, well, welcome to uh, the inaugural episode of a discussion of Criterion Collection movies between two people who have never really seen that many Criterion Collection movies and who aren't really film buffs in any way. Um, I'm Adam Urich, joined by... Jim Massessa, And uh, we're going to dive right in. We're going to start with uh, 12 Angry Men, a movie that Jim has never seen before um, and that I had never seen before. However, I had seen... The remake, which I think was from the '90s, that starred Jack Lemon in the Henry Fonda uh. role, and uh, I think I saw that when I was in high school, maybe eighth or ninth grade, um, and I had not seen it then. So I did know uh, the general gist of the film, and I did know what happened at the end what was going to happen at the end, um, but I don't know that that really uh, weighed on my viewing of it. So, but just going to take it away. It's not with, really a uh, big
1: reveal, like there's it's not. Pretty it's much not. one of two two ways this movie could
0: win. That's true. Yeah, there's not really going to happen, but uh, Jim's going to run through the specs in this and give us the synopsis.
1: So this is all according to the Criterion website. Uh, this movie came out in 1957 at a running time of 96 minutes. It's black and white. It's filmed in uh, 1.66 to 1 ratio. Uh, English, of course. E- and if you're uh, following along with the box number, this is spine number 591 in the Criterion catalog. Uh, And then we're just going to read the synopsis from their website. Uh, So they say 12 Angry Men by Sidney LeMay may be the most radical courtroom drama in cinema history, a behind closed doors look at the American legal system that is as riveting as it is spare. This iconic adaptation of Reginald Rose's teleplay stars Henry Fonda as the dissenting member of a jury of white men ready to pass judgment on a Puerto Rican teenager charged with murdering his father. The result is a saga of epic proportions that plays out over a tense afternoon in one sweltering room. LeMay's electrifying snapshot of 1950s America on the verge of change is one of the great feature film debuts. And that's what they got. They list the cast and credits, which I'm not going to read because it's pretty long.
0: But yeah, mainly this stars, um, Henry Fonda. There's also some other side characters uh, in here that were kind of interesting that I didn't didn't realize. Uh, Jack, I think it's Klugman? Um, who, famous for, of course, uh, The Odd Couple um, and that TV show in which he was a yeah. doctor, and I can't remember the title of it. MASH. No, not MASH. Oh, not Mashed, not Mashed. that's not uh, He was a corner uh, I can't remember it. I could probably look it up on IMDb really quickly, but I'm not going to. The other one was, uh, I think his name was Jack Wharton. Jack Wharton? Jack Wharton, who uh, you'd probably oh. remember from many um, movies in the 80s and 90s as he was kind of a... Uh, Always like the mean old man. He was in the replacements. I think he was the owner of the team and got into a bunch of arguments with Gene Hackman's character. And he's been in a ton of other things. The Keanu
1: Reeves replacements? Yeah, the Keanu Reeves. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He's the old guy. Always had the crazy hair,
0: always had a mustache. Yeah. So in this film, I believe he was juror number uh, seven. Um, He was the one sitting next to uh, Henry Fonda, who was juror number eight.
1: Yeah, there aren't a lot of people actually in this movie. You had the 12 jury members you see the judge briefly and yeah. the bailiff i guess the guy
0: yeah the bailiff yeah
1: i guess he would be the bailiff and i feel like that's it except for the very last shot of the movie there's some random people walking past right uh right. but it looks like yeah they, they
0: don't really even show you did they show i i don't remember you said in the synopsis how it said a uh, um, that the the kid was Puerto Rican, but I don't know that that was ever mentioned no. in the uh, in the thing. I thought it was kind of interesting because I think later in in the in the um, in the film, I was thinking uh, like, oh, do did, we didn't really ever because they referred to those people yes. or that type yes. of person a lot, and I, uh, I was like, I don't think we really heard this person's race. Is yes, you know, so I, I wasn't really sure. And I think that was maybe intentional. Uh, at least in my opinion, I thought it was uh, kind of interesting because it kind of applied to. Did, could he could have been black? He could have been. Puerto Rican. He could have been pretty much anything. Um, uh, there wasn't really a big diversity in the juror room. I think that was intentional. We so had the one who was the, I think you had, that was a French accent. So we, I think he was a kind of a French immigrant, but everyone else seemed to be your standard.
1: I thought he was immigrant. French at first. And then the more he talked, I thought maybe he it was Italian, but I think, yeah. I think you're right. I think you're supposed to be French. Is, do we know, is this movie based on a book?
0: Uh, I don't think, think so I, I don't know if it i think it's actually based it could be based on um a stage play um
1: i was just curious if that the actual trial itself if there was more oh yeah and and they just edit it this way for the movie um we yeah, didn't watch cool. any of the outtakes or the special features we did not i'm sure some of that is given in there
0: um yeah note on just um the uh, so i know we were we started recording we were talking about the aspect ratio so it was slightly pillar boxed um, which is when uh, bars black bars appear on the left and right side of the screen whereas most people would know movies that are letter boxed which is when black bars appear at the top and uh, bottom of the screen Uh Uh, and one six six would be a little bit wider than your standard or what was your standard square television which would have been one three three to one and we watched it on a sixteen by nine television Which would be, I think, approximately one is it one six five to one? I think is the approximate ratio of a sixteen by nine television. Uh, I think Gareth. I'm just nodding my head. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. Um, Yeah, it didn't. It didn't feel like we were missing much. It definitely felt didn't feel like you're watching a a full screen where something was cut off or the giant uh, black bars on the right. I do think
0: it was really just from a technical standpoint i thought that it was a little i was kind of surprised how grainy it was i mean i've seen some yeah, it was criterion great. collection films um in the mm-hmm. past not many some of them are black and white um and I, there was also some there was a really interesting scene where i know criterion does a really good job of restoring the film but mm-hmm. there was a part in which we did a close-up on the older man who i think was juror number t- uh, nine and there was dust on the corner edge of the screen and it was in the same oh. spot every time and i wondered like they were restoring this film, why didn't someone just take that out? It just kind of seemed a little. Uh,
1: I thought you were going to say the close up on his face. You could see the makeup. Oh, on his could cheek. you? I felt yeah. like I could, and then I thought maybe maybe that's just his skin because he's old. I don't know. Yeah. but it, re- it really looked like something was powdered on. Right.
0: Um. And we are watching. We are. Uh, this is a the we the are Blu-ray. watching these on Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, I think that's pretty much what all these. Uh, how we're going to watch all these movies. So, um, but which uh, that's going to make things a lot more noticeable. So. Um, yeah, I guess we can just dive into, uh, drop my pen. Uh, just dive into, uh, discussing, discussing the film. So, yeah.
1: So the movie kind of starts out right in the courtroom, uh, as I guess the, the judge is kind of summarizing the case. So everyone else I think had already left. I don't think anybody else was in the courtroom at this point. It looked like it was just the jurors and the judge. Um, and he's describing to them, you know, their responsibilities as the juror, how they need to come to a unanimous decision and how they should be taking this role very seriously. And I think it's kind of funny how the judge is complete. He's completely checked out at this point. Yeah. yeah. He's like fiddling with his pen or something on the. Yeah. I
0: think he had like a pencil in his hand and he was even drawing circles with the eraser on, on his desk and yeah I think his uh, head was in his hand, yeah, and he was just kind of you could tell he had just said these instructions over and over and over again, and he was he was done.
1: He wasn't even looking at yeah. the jury, he was, no, he wasn't
0: he was just looking at he was just looking at the desk the whole time,
1: so that's where it starts out. You don't know anything about what the case is about. he's just telling them what's gonna happen, uh and then they get up, leave the room and and go to their i don't know jury room, I've never actually served on a jury, I should say that. Yeah,
0: I've never served on the jury. I've only been called to jury duty uh, once where I actually ha- where I had to go in um, and just basically spend an entire day sitting in a room waiting for yes. um, a trial to happen to where they would call us in. Um, and we got called in, and my number was, I was one of the, I think there was probably 30 or 40 of us there, and they did a whole thing where they asked a bunch of different questions, um, and people stood up and told stories about why or why they would not be able to serve on a jury Um I was eventually dismissed. It was actually a case of, I think I remember correctly, it was like a, the guy was like selling weapons, like guns and stuff. It was actually an arms dealer type thing. And
1: you told him about that gun store you own. So you got Right, dismissed. right, of course. Right,
0: yeah. 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 Um, I don't actually own a gun store. Just, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, I know the, I actually do know that they did talk about the ATF. I think the ATF was involved in some That's way. And um Um, The one thing I do remember was a woman kept coughing the entire time and the judge had to stop the proceedings so that someone would bring the juror, this woman, a glass of water so she could. And then eventually he excused her because she wouldn't stop coughing. So that's that's a a, strategy. If you're trying to get off the jury, just cough constantly and they'll let you go.
1: But even in this movie, the jurors passed around some cough drops at one point. So I wonder if that's a thing. It could be. Coughing on a jury. It could be. Maybe the air in the courtrooms. So. Well,
0: I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because Henry Fonda's character, juror number no. eight, does ask for a cough drop, but he never coughs in the whole movie. I feel like he's one of those people who, you know, those people who just like somebody has a cough drop and there's always that one person who ha- wants one too, but they never really need one.
1: Well, see, I thought it might have been a ploy to, so Henry Fonda is kind of the dissenting opinion most right. most of this movie. And if somebody is offering him something, he's going to take it, you know, just to kind of build that repartee with them and get a little buddy-buddy. Mm-hmm, mm hmm
0: but I feel like at that point, that's it's, it's pretty far into the movie when he does that.
1: Well, no spoilers. Let's not.
0: Well, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we're going to spoil it. Uh,
1: yeah. I've never. So I've, I've been. I've gotten my paperwork for a jury once and I had to do the call in each night. But I, my number never came up. I was like 300 something. Mm. Um, but all I remember, it was the week of 4th of July. And I could not make plans to go anywhere because I had to call in every day. So even though I never got chosen, I still had to cancel my plans for Fourth of July yeah. because if my number did come up, I had to go in.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point because I think that kind of just you know uh, I think you get that experience or at least that impression from these people that like now Jim gets called to the jury and, and to serve on it. He's not going to enjoy being there. He's had lost you know he, he he had to cancel all of his plans to show up, and you really feel I think you get that, and they do a great job of kind of setting that up where the guy has this baseball game that yeah. he bought tickets to. Other people are just kind of, you know, um, they don't really want to be there. They've been sitting there all day. That first pan, um, we're actually sitting here in front of the TV and the, uh, the, the, uh, the menu screen is up and it's just a loop of the pan of the jury at the very beginning of the film, kind of showing their reactions as the judge is, uh, you know, giving his instructions. And I think you can see the, uh, um, the one guy, I think it was jury number 11, um, uh, he's constantly like wiping his face and that's the first thing you see is you get that that it's really really hot they talk about the heat and i think right away they kind of set that up that uh, you know this is going to uh, put out 12 guys into a really really hot room with no air conditioning no fan it's a lot of sweat um, going on in there a lot of yeah a lot of sweat
1: you think any of that was natural sweat because i
0: feel like that it probably wasn't um i really doubt that the room was uh was really that i'm sure it was warm because obviously it was 15, 1957 central air didn't really exist at the time i'm but sure like, it was like warm. method
1: acting they wouldn't try to like make the room hot to y-
0: yeah i mean maybe i don't know that um
1: maybe not because that one guy did not sweat and how could you control that
0: yeah well that that's what i'm saying i think that i had well not to mention the fact that this movie would have been shot over the course of probably maybe four to five weeks if not longer than that yeah. um I'm sure we could probably read up more and and find out some interesting facts about it. But, um, uh, yeah, so I I don't know that that was necessarily the case, I'm sure. And just judging by the massive amount of, like, pit stains and stuff some of these guys had on their shirts. I don't know. I mean, like, I've been, like, I've gone out and run and had less sweat on my shirt in the summer than some of these guys had on their shirts. They
1: did say, the one guy said he called the the weather because this was obviously before the internet. And uh, they said... it that was the hottest day of the year so far, the day that the movie takes place. So they don't say what the temperature was, but it was definitely hottest day of the year. Uh, yeah. And of course the only fan that would be in the jurors room is broken. Um, of course. So this is a, uh, death penalty case. They make that clear in the beginning too. And by, um, giving, by saying that, uh, the defendant is guilty he's getting he would be sentenced to death by the electric chair so it's it's more than just a simple guilty not guilty they know that if they say guilty this person is going to be executed based on their decision um so going into their first initial vote they start off they go around they do a was it an, it wasn't anonymous
0: no i think they just all raised the their hands um and they did guilty not guilty and of course juror number eight um, is the lone holdout.
1: So there's 11 guilty, one not guilty. Right. And then the entire rest of the movie is that one non-guilty vote, juror number eight, uh, trying to convince, maybe not convince, trying to plead his case to the other jurors uh, and them trying to plead their case to him to see who's going to change their vote. Um, I'm not 100% up on the legal system, but to me, I get the impression that they had to be unanimous one way or the other, right. and yeah. if not, then they could go to the judge and declare a hung jury, in yeah. which
0: case- so I'm not that I've ever, you know, practiced law or anything, <laughs> but you do need to have a majority, at least in a murder case, um, in either way. And I, they do talk a lot about, um, I think, especially when the vote starts getting more and more when it's, um, you know, like eight to four, and it starts to kind of turn the other way, um, to not guilty that I think the guys who are still voting guilty are getting frustrated it's, it's been taking a long time so they want to kind of just get this over with and move on that's kind of a running theme throughout this film is that everyone would rather be somewhere else yeah um um except for juror number eight, who I think is the one person who is kind of enjoying I feel like he's the one person who would be like reading John Grisham books if John Grisham would have been alive in nineteen fifty seven. Rao or at least publishing books in nineteen fifty seven. And that's um, Henry
1: Fonda's character.
0: Yes, yeah. Um Did you notice
1: he is the only juror who is wearing a white suit? Yes,
0: I wrote that down. <laughs> um at the very uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's um
1: And I think his suit was like it looked like a linen suit too. Yeah so it seemed if you know it's the hottest day of the year mm-hmm. and you're the only guy wearing white and linen He's obviously, he plans ahead. You know, he put a little thought into it. The other guys were in dark suits, sweating out their pits. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think right off the bat, that gave me the impression, like, he's the smart guy in the room.
0: Yeah. I did think, and going back to when they first uh, took the first,
1: <laughs> just I mean, going to dive I mean, into a
0: chocolate chip cookie right now. Um, I think it was interesting when they took the first vote that you did see a couple hands kind of slowly go up at the end. Once, you know, there were a few guys who kind of immediately raised their hands when it was like when we were voting on when they were voting mm-hmm. on whether it was guilty or not guilty, and then there were a few that kind of did the look around the room, see what everyone else is doing, and and raise a hand, which I think is
1: so. You're saying they weren't 100 percent sure. Yeah, and, I, and if
0: you, I think if we were to go back and actually play that scene again and, and look at who were the people who raised their hands, mm-hmm. uh, sl- um, slowly, I think you'd see those were the people who uh, were the first ones to go to switch over to uh, ah. to switch over to not guilty, especially um, uh, Jack Klugman's character, who was I guess he was juror number. Five, um, and he was one of the ones that, that slowly raised his hands, and then right, right, um, right. I think you come to find out that he's, you know, when the talk kind of goes to oh, this type of person who grew up in this type of neighborhood, the slums, and he kind of is the first one to kind of object and say, well, hey, I grew up in those neighborhoods too, and what are you, what are you trying to say that I'm a murderer too just because I grew up in that, um, grew up in that, um, and I did think what was interesting when you first just as sort of like a more of like a cinematography thing, um, you know. Uh, I don't know. It would be interesting to find out when the transition started happening to where um, the, the majority of the film's credits play at the end of the movie over black, whereas if you watch a lot of older movies and older being you know, probably pre-1970s, maybe actually even into the 70s and before is probably the transition, but the majority of films from that era would play almost all of the credits from the very beginning of the movie. Some would play over music. Um in this film they did a lot of the credits played over the jurors walking. It was the overhead shot of the jurors walking into the jury room. Right. So I think that was kind of interesting because you could you have the credits playing and it gives that time, but you're you're also watch you're you're watching the movie, so you're kind of seeing people sort of like walk in, take their coats off, kind of getting acclimated to the room. And I think one of the first lines that gets said by it's said by juror number three, um, uh, and he, uh, was like, oh, have you ever heard so much talk about nothing? And I think they kind of just set the stage for, and people kind of were like, oh, in agreement with him that, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing to walk into a jury room on a murder trial and then just kind of start complaining about the trial itself and, um, you know, how there were, uh, <laughs> playing with the lawyers. Um, I think that was, uh, I thought that was kind of interesting.
1: They did say at some point that they were in court for six days. So this wasn't like one day they were in and out. Uh, so we don't know a lot. We don't know anything about the court case going into this. And the, the way we get information on what happened is as they go around the room and the jurors are trying to persuade the not guilty vote to a guilty vote, everyone's kind of giving facts like, oh, well, you heard about, uh, the boy's mother who died when he was nine. And we heard about the father who used to beat his son. So we start getting pieces of information, um, fed to us slowly, and you can only kind of form an opinion on what you know as the movie progresses. So uh I think in general, you go into this kind of siding with Henry Fonda's character because he's the underdog. But I think it was it's an interesting way the story is told to reveal that information to you a little at, at a time. So you don't really have your own opinion on the court case. All you know is what how these people are acting and how their appearances. is. Um,
0: yeah, agreed. But, I think um that's sort of. I think if we would have seen the trial, this would. This it's not a courtroom drama, um, you know. It's really kind of leaving at the end of the trial and getting into into being in the in, in the jury room. So uh, you don't have those biases coming in. We never even see who the kid was, uh, which I think would have been a a lot different if we would have seen. You know, they would have had like a, a reaction shot of the kid being walked out of the room or, you know, even the right. attorneys kind of and what their faces look like, who the attorneys look like. Do you um, think some
1: of that has to do with how, we, you know, we talked a little bit about the uh, the fact that the synopsis said the defendant was Puerto Rican, but you don't know that watching the movie. Um, and then once they start getting into some of the perhaps prejudices of the jurors yeah, yeah then you start to get an idea of that if we had seen that right in the beginning then we would we might already be taking that into account going yeah i know
0: i think so i think especially at the especially when juror number three who's um what was his actress name i just had it here a second he was uh uh lee j cobb um and who was i thought was really great in that film and uh um i'm trying to think what else other
1: films he he's the saying. uh the opposite holdout
0: yeah, and I think he um, – I think you would have – you could definitely – at least I know when he started um, talking and making arguments, it was kind of like, oh, I know somebody like that type of thing. Right, I right. think you could see he was definitely a very blue-collar guy yep. and um, – He kind of talked was, out
1: of the side of his mouth a little. He
0: did, yeah. He was really gruff, you know, a man's man. And I think he kind of tried to express that a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think that's sort of the crux of the film is that you have this guy who, um, you know, you he you, you starts to talk about his son and that um, – you know, he, uh, had a son and that he, his son walked away from a fight. He had never been more embarrassed in his entire life. He almost, uh, what'd he say? He almost wanted to throw up, I think. Yeah. And then, uh, and that he'd he said, oh, I'll make you a man. And even if it meant breaking him in two and that his son eventually punched him in the face in an argument and he hadn't seen him in two years. So, and that, I think he said his son was 16 when that happened. So,
1: yeah, I um, thought he said I was 60. I'm like, that can't be right. No,
0: no. Yeah. I think it was, <laughs> he his was, 16. Son was 16. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, at 18 years old his at this point is, you know, he hasn't seen this kid. Um, which I really think is kind of that thing that's sticking with him is he sees his son as the young, his, he's seeing his son in that young boy, um, who, who's being on, on trial for murder as, oh, you're this good for nothing kid who your father gave you all this stuff and you murdered your father and he's right. seeing those parallels or my son punched me in the face. Like I gave him all this. And that's what he did to me. I think that's sort of the thing where almost that guy, juror number three, is basically taking the position of the 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 uh, the victim, the the murdered father, um, and looking at it as like for the eyes that his son was the one who did it to him.
1: He did a lot of finger wagging when he talked. He did he point at people he or point him. up in yeah. the air. Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: he, I, I, but not to the extent that it was like overacting. I don't, no, no. I don't think it was that. I think it was well done the way you just he just felt it and, that
1: you know somebody yeah, like that. You know he
0: would talks like talks with his hands and. Yeah, I think you could see what the arguments would have must have been like between him and his son just by the basis the way of he was doing it to you know that he was an he's an angry guy and that things probably always turn physical. Yeah,
1: punch that guy in the face too.
0: Yeah, I feel like yeah. (laughs) I I think that was interesting though is that there isn't really I mean there's a couple moments in this film especially when there's a moment you know um, you know with the knife that eventually which we're gonna talk about in a second but um, you know when he has the knife in his hand and he's gonna like. Demonstrating how he could stab, you know, Henry Fonda's character in the chest. I mean, like, I think the film did a really great job of kind of like building these moments where they were close together, and they were. Yeah. In a, in a lesser film, there would have been physical contact and people really shoving each other, and somebody would have gotten punched for that effect of like that's how they would have had to tell the story that way. But right,
1: it was um, definitely you could feel the intensity without any actual physical contact. Like, right. And I think there were there were several moments like that. I don't think anybody other than like a pat on the back here and there, nobody ever got into like a physical fight, but there was definitely like threats from one juror to another, or, you know, I, hey, if you say that again, I'm going to, one guy said, I'm going to lay you out or something. Yeah. Like yeah. That. And I think, and the funny
0: thing was, is I think that guy said it, he said it really calmly too. Yeah. He was almost like, if you, and what was, I think really interesting about that scene was that that's when, um, juror number three was kind of threatening, um, the older man, the oldest man who was right, in there, right. um, who probably looked like he was in his um, late seventies and he said he's like you don't get to disrespect an older you know um you know the the elderly like that i think he said or something to that effect you know and if you say that again i'm gonna lay you out and he says it in, like very calm but i think what's interesting in that is that that guy during number three who's yelling at everyone the whole film is complaining about the fact that oh the kids the i think they say that. he says like kids these days they don't respect you know that's how he gets into his telling about his son and but, he
1: doesn't respect and he doesn't the he
0: doesn't respect who essentially would be his grandfather uh um so that was kind of interesting to uh to kind of see that play out so that was, exactly yeah and i think that was and not to mention i think we you know we say all that i feel like you hear i mean this film was shot in 1957 right um that guy looked like he was probably in his 40s so you know he probably served in world war ii most likely hmm. um you know but you have that idea that um <laughs> you know he comes from whatever what do they call it the like the golden golden generation or golden years or something like that there was like um a name for the generation of like the greatest the greatest generation i think it was where the um you know people who lived through like our our who most likely would have been our grandparents like the people who lived through world war ii who were in their late teens to our 20s who would have been through world war ii and really experienced it
1: so because it's like the great war like world war one well the great war is world war one so yeah but then they'd be the greatest generation like born in that time i, I
0: guess so i think that's oh. how it, anyway but um i think it was interesting to see that um you know um people saying uh, oh the kids these days they don't they don't respect you i remember when i you know he says i remember when i had to call my father sir and i feel like oh, i've yeah. had people you know who are my parents age um who would have been you know six or seven in in 1957 saying that like oh i had to call my father sir and and this type of stuff so i, I just think that's kind of
1: kid who bagged my groceries yesterday sir like i do it at a I never called my dad. I don't know. Sometimes I just you say, call
0: little kids, like, or not little kids. No, call sir. Excuse I me. Thank the
1: lady. Like you know, here's your receipt. It's like thank you very much. And I start pushing my car away, and you know the kids bagging your groceries, yeah. and I say, I don't know, it just slips out. It's like thank you, sir. It's yeah, like a, yeah, that's like very a polite thing. of you. I mean, I was like thank you, sir. No, 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 I just, get it.
0: I, I didn't. I know you didn't. But say I never
1: it, called my dad, sir. I never.
0: No, I never did. i If I did it, it was sarcastic and as a way to disrespect him by calling him, right, him sir because right. he knew I didn't mean it. Yeah. Uh, but I guess it's better than if you called so, like you know if you're like uh, if you called somebody boss, It's kind of one of my pet peeves. And like, thanks, boss. Thanks, boss. Yeah, it's kind of like a, I feel like a,
1: not like kid or son. Thanks, well, no, son. I
0: just mean people say that in general.
1: Hey, another uh, while we're talking about talking, something that so th- this style movie. I don't know. I'm I know there's a name for this, and I, I can't remember. But when. When was it that movies moved away from this style movie to the way movies are now acting wise. You would never see a movie acted this way nowadays because nobody talks like this. And I feel like nobody talked like this ever. But when one guy's talking to another, "Hey, what's the big idea?" "Why I on a nut?" Like I don't think anybody ever talked like that, but I f- I feel like that's the way this is acted. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that it it reminds me of like a Broadway. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I I would say, yeah. I mean, I think the biggest difference I find if I go a long period of time where I'm not watching a movie that's from, I would say like probably pre like, uh, I would say like the mid eighties, mid to late eighties is when film editing kind of changed a little bit. Hmm. um, and especially if you have if you if there's a movie that's been in the last 10 to 15 years um if you if you go and you're watching a lot of new movies, TV shows and then you go back and watch a movie from like 1962, it kind of throws you off a little bit mainly because of how long the edits are. So you have a someone yeah. talking like say I'm talking right now and the camera's on me right now. The camera probably would have been on me almost this entire time even if I was giving a long monologue.
1: You are talking pretty long.
0: Yeah, I am, sorry. Yeah. But um <laughs> But it would have cut to Right. It would have cut to your reaction and then back then to me back and then while cut you're back still to talking. or cut to other people or cut to a wide shot, then to a tight shot, then to a maybe a close up of you and a close up of me and then back to a medium shot. And that's came I mean, um uh, that came kind of out of the music video uh, hmm. era of, you know, faster edits and um and, and things like that where you have I think that's where you could probably see the transition. So late '80s into the early '90s, when music videos MTV became popular, um, that's kind of what shifted a lot of editing. Um, and I mean, go well. Here's a perfect example: go watch a My- Michael Bay film, <laughs> go watch Transformers, well, and go. Okay. Watch, but but no, but like I, but that's I, all I, I joke like, like no, but it's it's still. Um, I think. You could probably even go watch Taxi Driver and watch The Departed and to use two good Martin Scorsese films, and you could probably tell the difference. And for the record, those are both edited by the same woman who's edited like every single movie.
1: I have yet to see either of those, but perhaps on a later podcast. (laughs) Well, this is just –
0: I mean, maybe. Maybe we'll branch out. um, Those are not Criterion. Out of Criterion Collection (sighs) movies. Um, Actually, uh, no, Taxi Driver is not a Criterion Collection movie. I don't think there's a single – Scors- I know he has a uh, – there is a collection of Scorsese's stuff, but I believe it's like short films. He did some sort of short film project. I will talk about that it later.
1: It's the Critese collection. The Critese, yeah. Scor- Scortarian. Um,
0: Scorterian. I like the Scortarian, Scortarian works. The Scortarian
1: Well, sorry. Th- that's just in the style. So the style but- of movie, yeah.
0: No, I actually made a note of that. And I think that um, – especially when we we're talking about like the arguments and stuff, I think you saw that in how tight those close-ups were and how yeah. long the close-ups were on people's reactions um, and there was some, I felt like when, um, the, uh, older man was kind of like talking a lot, there's, he's kind of giving a little bit longer of a speech and it pulled really, really tight on him. And it was, the angle was kind of low and he just had this creepy, I feel like you could have put that into he like didn't a horror blink. movie. He didn't blink. I, just <laughs> yeah, His skin was that. really
1: tight too. It looked like somebody yes. was pulling his face. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. No, I noticed that too. He did look a little creepy. Uh, and at one point the heat kind of gets to him and mm-hmm. he has to sit down and, yep. and I thought it, he is gonna he is gonna have a heart attack or something and I, I made a note uh, asking um, what what happens uh, what happens if somebody if a juror dies what happens if a juror dies mid-trial I made, I made a little note
0: so there are yeah. alternate jurors um, but do they, they so if redo. you noticed no yeah, they,
1: they excused right in the beginning they excused they excused the two
0: alternate jurors um And they would essentially. Now that's actually interesting because I've seen um, a another movie that revolves heavily around a jury deliberation, Runaway Jury with
1: John Cusack. Uh, um, I thought you were gonna say that Pauly Shore movie. I, no, I, don't I don't remember the name. You remember that one? No. He's like on the jury. It's, I'm sure it had some hilarious name about being high or something. Um, yeah.
0: No, I don't know the. I don't know that. But run, but, but in Runaway Jury there are. um if I think of it the right thing, I could be confusing something else, but there are alternate jurors who stay in the deliberation room. They just don't sit at the table and participate. And they're brought in, um, they're brought in, 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 in the movie runaway jury, spoiler alert. Um, some of the jurors are removed from the trial and the alternate jurors take their place. Uh, and they've been in part of the deliberation. So I think that's, what's interesting here. And, uh, I don't know if it was for dramatic effect or, um, because that's how they did things in the 50s uh but to remove the alternate jurors from the deliberation seemed a little odd because if say that old man fell over and died you know you'd want the uh you'd want the other juror to be able to just jump right in wherever they were um but one thing I did uh, one thing we talked about earlier with the um with the suit and I made this kind of note that there were really only two people who was it two people three people who weren't dressed in suits Um, there was juror number, uh, six who had like a button up, um, short sleeve shirt.
1: The the guy with the baseball tickets.
0: No, that was juror number seven. But yeah, I was getting to him. He had a coat on, he had a jacket, like a, but he didn't, he did have like a button up shirt sleeve, a short sleeve. The guy to his right, um, juror Uh, number six, the guy who was going to lay somebody out. Yep. Yep. So he had basically the same shirt on that juror number seven had under his coat. And the, uh. And then the, the, foreman, the foreman had a polo had shirt a polo on shirt with, a tie. with a tie, which I thought was a little, I, know I don't know that I've it. ever seen anyone wear a polo shirt with a tie. I've never seen that before. At
1: t- Is t- that the style though back uh, then? I don't know. I have worn a polo shirt with a tie once.
0: Uh, uh, I feel like you that I remember,
1: but I had, <laughs> I had a suit jacket over it and I felt like you couldn't tell that it was a polo shirt. Uh,
0: I get I get But I mean, other than the fact that there weren't buttons down the rest of
1: it. Yeah, well, I was a little more like punkish back then, and I kind of thought it was a good idea. But yeah, I, I wouldn't do that now. The keyword being there, you thought it was a good idea. Well, I, I have a picture of it. I'll have to dig that up. Yeah, please do. We'll, we'll put, put that I on like the website. A, yeah, on our on our,
0: <laughs> on our website that we presumably will have for this podcast. That's gonna be. Speaking amazing.
1: of, let's take a break for one of our sponsors.
0: <laughs> uh, and we're back. Yeah, and we're back. <laughs> These, uh, no, this really, this uh, podcast is sponsored by um, giant cookies. Oh, and
1: that's... not
0: cookies that are big. We mean um, cookies from the giant grocery store.
1: They're decent. Um, that Jim baked. brought. I would say these are about two and a half. Inches. They're
0: basically the leftovers uh, from his family coming to visit him. And uh, he didn't want them, so he brought them to my apartment.
1: If you're saying you don't want a cookie.
0: I mean, I've already eaten one chocolate chip cookie, and they're, they're pretty good. So
1: There's also oatmeal raisin. I really I'm, raisin mm. I'm not really the biggest oatmeal raisin fan.
0: Chocolate chip favorite. All-time cookie. Um, oatmeal raisin, my brother's all-time favorite cookie. So, I honestly, like, if you were to come into my family's house uh, around the holidays, my mom would have sure to make both of these cookies because um, my brother doesn't really like chocolate chip, and I don't really like oatmeal raisin, but we like those other ones. So, so
1: I can call your brother oatmeal raisin from now? On. Yo, um, oatmeal raisin.
0: No, I don't think he'd really find that funny. Uh,
1: did you notice a lot of <laughs> lines in this movie that – I'm sure they were written this way on purpose, but seemed kind of uh, ironic, such as the one juror describing the facts of the case and the facts he was describing were the two uh, testimonies from, quote unquote, eyewitnesses. These are the facts when they weren't necessarily facts. It was just like hearsay, really. You know, it's, it's somebody telling you what they thought they saw. And there was no evidence. Well, there was one piece of evidence, but that's not what they actually said was a fact. And I, I put down alternate facts. I don't know. I thought that. Yeah,
0: was I actually was thinking of that in certain parts. I mean, I don't really want to spend any time talking about the current president of the United <laughs> States. Uh, and this podcast is for being recorded in uh, 2017, in case you know for whatever reason. But um, just for context,
1: pre-apocalypse in yes. 2017. <laughs> We haven't hit that point yet.
0: <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just thought it was kind of interesting the way that, um, you know, we were, they talked about facts and, oh, you're, you know, um, the facts of a case and, uh, oh, you can twist the facts around and all this stuff. It just kind of reminded me of, uh, yeah, of, uh, of a lot of the things we've seen in the press with,
1: with so the guy who facts. said that line talking about twisting the facts. is the say, most. Yeah. He was talking about how the not guilty votes were twisting the facts. He said, you can twist the facts and they were. That was their point. <laughs> he didn't seem to get that. Um so I, I, I like I felt like there were a lot of good lines like that that kind of uh gave me a good chuckle.
0: Yeah, they were. I did make a couple notes about that. I thought that um um that yeah, I think it was kind of like all about, oh, you know, we're trying to we're trying to twist up the facts and uh, like I don't know why we're talking about this.
1: Did you notice the um I think juror number seven was he the baseball guy with the baseball tickets? Yes, yeah. Uh When he was talking about the case, giving his little uh, background on what we missed, he said, oh, the kid is five and oh, trying to describe his like history of uh, how he had been in trouble with the law before. And yeah, so of course, his reference is like a baseball reference.
0: Right, right. Well, I mean, at the time, though, like it's not as though people wouldn't get there.
1: But I think like trying to set up these characters is like not stereotyping them, but like Mm -hmm. this is the sports guy. Like, I don't know felt a little heavy-handed to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I didn't really get the... Um, do you remember the scene where it starts to rain and the, the foreman starts talking to Henry Vonda's character? Yep. And he starts talking to him about baseball? I, I kind of missed out on like what that really added to the thing. Unless the fact that he was talking about it was high school and that um, that was kind of tried to relate that he coaches high school-age kids who would be, of course, the same age as the kid who's on trial. If yeah. that was supposed to wear, he was kind of... That was a huge, loud, uh, motorcycle. Thing. <laughs> um, and yeah, so that he was, that he was trying to relate to the fact that I think it, maybe it was him coming to his realization that, Oh, this kid was, um, you know, was just like some, some of the kids on his baseball team.
1: That was the foreman, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so the other jurors, you kind of get a peek into their lives as they kind of defend their vote. But the foreman, he doesn't really say a lot the whole movie. Um, No, and I think that was probably his biggest line, his biggest monologue for sure. Uh, So I think that kind of gave you a little insight into where he's from and like what his the which way his mind is going. He is he does vote guilty for the majority of the movie, but he you know he doesn't argue with anyone about it. Mm -hmm. He's very uh, level headed. Um, I did notice that point. I felt that point in the movie was very symbolic when the storm started. So the storm breaks right when the vote is split 6-6. And I felt like it's a turning point for the jury. The weather's turning. And at that same moment, moment, they finally got the fan starting to work in the room too. So I felt like you're you're kind of being set up that like... Cooler heads will prevail. There you go. Oh, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I, I did notice from that point on, it did seem like, those who were voting not guilty were now sweating less than those who were voting guilty. Peter Fonda, yeah. by the end of the movie, is, he's not sweating at all.
0: Well, you know, he did have, um, I did make a note that there were, he did have some, but true, by the end of the movie, he's not sweating. But I think everyone, they did a good job of kind of, some, some people were sweating profusely. Mm-hmm. Some kind of just had a little bit of sweat on their faces. And I think that was pretty fair because, you know, not everyone, of course, is going to sweat as equally as, as the next person. I would agree. I, I, I did want to say, one, I thought one line was interesting going back to earlier that I just forgot to mention was that, um, that when they, I think it was the second time they voted, uh, where I think it was juror number three, uh, said, you know, Oh, we're trying to put a guilty man in the chair. Um, I just, I was like, I mean, really like that's, I think that's kind of, I think Henry Fonda of course goes into his thing. And is was like, what, do, what are your, what's your motive right. here? Like, what are you, that's really, what you're trying that, to do. You think what we're trying to do? Um, I just thought that was really like just to have that kind of perspective. The second you're walking in, I mean, you feel like he's one of those guys who just made up his mind five minutes into the trial. He knew the kid was guilty and wanted to do it. And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, well, I think one person we haven't talked about is the, uh, juror number 12. Who's the ad, the ad rep.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I made a note about him early on. Um, I know this movie far dates, mad man, mad men, mad yes. man, mad mad, men. mad max. Um, and that movie too. But I said uh, he reminded me of a cross between uh, Rod Sterling and Don Draper, which <laughs> yeah. are the two main characters. Yeah, and he he is an advertising man, isn't he?
0: Right, he is a Madman.
1: Yeah, so I don't know if Mad Men just got it really right or uh, what was going on, but yeah, they had, the, got the, he had it the thick really right. glasses. Yeah. He had the same haircut. Um, he made a lot of like dumb jokes. He was drawing an ad for. Rice pops, yes. which was one of his products, um, which, and it
0: wasn't really—it wasn't a really good ad. I mean, I don't know. No, it was a pretty rice
1: crude pops. drawing. It, I, I think, it was supposed to be kind of like Rice Krispies, like Rice Pops. Yeah, not like a popsicle made of rice. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah,
0: uh, yeah. And I, it was kind of interesting. I think there were a couple times where he was talking to the guy to his right, and was kind of like, um, um, "Oh, you know, I'm an advertising. Did I say? Did I say I was an advertising? <laughs> yeah, he uh, the ad agency." that I work at because I'm in advertising, you know, we do it this way. Um, and he did kind of tell that joke where he was kind of like, Oh, you know, somebody gets up at a meeting and they're like, Oh, we're going to hit this one out of the park or whatever. I think is what he said. And nobody, I don't think really anyone got what he was saying. And he just kind of sat down and went on with it.
1: He's definitely very showy in his personality. And that kind of breaks down towards the end where he becomes kind of that flip flopper. Mm -hmm. Um, he can't make a decision. Uh, he, he was one of the guys playing tic-tac-toe because he was so bored with the... Uh, yeah, listening. I thought that
0: I thought that was really... To me, that was one scene that I just really didn't... I didn't buy that scene. That was the one scene in the movie that kind of threw me off where he's talking and then all of a sudden they're like halfway through a game of tic-tac-toe <laughs> and just like how how casually that they were just kind of all... The, the two of them were just sitting there. It was uh, t- number 12 and number 3 just kind of like across the table playing tic-tac-toe.
1: I I mean, it was kind of funny, but it was when the guy took the nerve of you. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know about you, but I've never played Tic Tac. They were using a full sheet of paper for one one board of Tic Tac Toe.
0: Yeah. I mean, you think with the the generation they grew up in, they wouldn't be so wasteful.
1: Yeah. Be a little more conservative. Yeah. Plus, you have like one sheet of paper for however many hours you're going to be stuck in there. You want to play one game? Yeah. Like, I didn't buy that.
0: No, I I didn't I didn't buy that.
1: Um one thing before we skip past that part I I think when you were talking about earlier uh juror number 3 and um saying how we're here to send the, the guy to the chair I think it was shortly after that he goes to the restroom they kind of take a quick break mm-hmm. and uh somebody's kind of shouting after him as he walks away and the other juror turns to him and says he can't hear you he never will. <laughs> I, I it felt very like, uh, yeah. Right, I remember like, that part. That was I'm trying yeah. to like bring it home here and make it real for a second. And like, actually, he will hear you. Like as soon as he comes back out of the, the restroom and before you come to come to a decision. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It felt a little pushed on us. Um. So uh, I guess the elephant in the room here is uh, the jury itself is made up of twelve angry men. Right. All white, all men. I feel like in general, especially now, modern day, no good defense lawyer would pick that jury for their non-white defendant. Am I wrong? Again, never been a juror.
0: So in today's world 2017 yes but that was 1957 well i mean we've seen uh, what here was to, to kill a mockingbird take place i think that was an all white of course all white jury I, I feel like you know and i'm i don't know that we know what necessarily we know what city they're in i would assume uh, new york maybe or was it
1: yeah they don't it's it's wherever the the l train is <laughs> which, which could, could is be chicago 100. could be that's new york. true it could yeah yeah uh, um yeah.
0: but in in any case i feel like um that's kind of the jury that you were going to get in 1957. Could be. Um, I mean, I would say more often than not it's going to be – because I was going to comment that I thought it was kind of funny that there was a woman's room in the jury deliberation yeah. room at a time when women probably really weren't on that many juries. Um,
1: so was there – a? so, you know, there was a vote for women to vote. Right. Maybe I'm going to give away my ignorance here. Was there a vote when women could serve on a, a jury? Could they always serve on a jury? Was there a time when it was... Yeah, I own? don't
0: I don't think that was a federal thing. I'm sure it had to do with states. State because state. I'm sure there were probably some states where women served on juries. Um, but I would say that um, for the most part, I think, um, you know, you had the majority of your juries would be, you know, white men in, in most cases.
1: And it's not brought up at any point in this movie. So I assume it must have been a natural occurrence. Well, I
0: think that's also part of the point in what the com what the movie is sort of commenting on um is here are twelve white men deciding the fate of a young Puerto Rican boy. Mm. Uh and we see that. We we haven't really even touched on um uh I think it was Jer number ten or eleven, who was the guy who came in with the cold um and who really is, you know, probably the most blatant racist of juror of Jar was a Jericho.
1: Eleven's the uh ad guy, I think. I think no, no twelve is the ad guy right, eleven, right. yeah.
0: Um and I mean, that's, I think that's really one of the best scenes in the yeah. film is when he's kind of going off and off and off and everyone's slow. There's that like wide shot where the camera's up in the corner of the room and each one kind of, each juror kind of slowly gets up and walks away from the table and doesn't even look at him. And I think that's kind of where they come to the realization of like, he's verbalizing a lot of the thoughts that they had. And I think they're kind of hearing those thoughts out loud, realizing that how bad it sounds, how racist it sounds. Yeah. I wrote down
1: some of the. He kept saying these people. uh, Yeah. He would say, like, they drink. They're violent by nature. I know all about them. Um, And again, the word racist is never used. And at that point, we still don't know anything about the defendant, but it kind of reveals what we all thought was going on. Even so, he has a, at that point, he's still voting guilty. Even the other, the main holdout, juror number three. Um, who was voting guilty, got up and turned his back. So I think that kind of speaks to, like, he wanted to vote guilty, but I, I think even he did not want to be associated. Yeah. Um, and, and I
0: don't know that you ever hear juror number three say these people or those no. people. I don't think he ever is racist. I think his entire argument always revolves around the fact that he's like that, he, that he's attached to the fact that he's the young kid. Right. And that he's seeing his son... Um, seeing a son in that kid. And I think I think at one point when he, when he's the final holdout and um, I forget which which person um which juror says it to him where he says um you're alone and he's like I know or I don't care it's my right um right. to be alone. But I think it's kind of interesting is that that's not really just saying you're alone as the only person voting guilty, but I think we don't know what his family situation is we know his son left. Ah. This is, is his wife alive? We don't know that, but I think that's sort of commenting on, Oh, he is alone, not only in this room now, but now he's alone. Um, you know, he's alone in his life. And I think that's sort of, you see his, he gets angrier and angrier essentially because, um, you know, he's, uh, he has all of these people on his side and now everyone's kind of going against him. And I think that's sort of, I'm assuming would be kind of the way he had a relationship with his son, where he's his son's on his side. and Eventually now his son's against him and um, he leaves.
1: I think he does mention his wife earlier on in the movie before they're all really sitting down at the table I think he's asking Juror 4 next to him what what he does for business, and he says...
0: Oh, he does say, my wife came up with the name. Yeah,
1: I don't remember what the name was, but the name of... Because he pulls out all his cards. Yeah. Yeah, he's a messenger service. Beck and Call. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I did want to say that I think...
1: I'm uh, Beck, he's Call. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't
0: know. Yeah. Um, That what I do... The one thing I did remember vividly from the remake that I knew going through the whole thing is the whole um, I'm-gonna-kill-him line. Right. And that I knew that eventually we get to the point in which juror number three goes, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, oh, do you really want to kill me? And I would say that I think, um, and we're not going to do it for this purpose, but, you know, if, if anyone wants to, they could go watch the remake afterwards and kind of compare. And I think that could be a good That movie was made in the 90s, um, but a good comparison of modern films because it's, it's pretty faithful to this film in terms of its, you know, um, in terms of its like dialogue, I think is pretty close Uh but there's a lot, I do remember there's a lot more music and that moment is like so much more like dramatized yeah. than it is in this film. I think there's that moment and then it quickly just dissipates. Uh, and there, I would say there wasn't really that much music. In I was this. just
1: thinking that too. Yeah. There's music in the beginning as they're, they're, uh, walking in, there's definitely music at the end, but I think the majority of the, the movie, you could really hear the sounds. I could hear the fan when it started yeah. working. Um, you could hear the rain, uh, Yeah, I don't think there was much music. There
0: were a couple little small violin parts Mm, or clarinet parts, I think, were in there. And then um, that was pretty much it. But um, no, and I think that's an effect of a lot of older movies, too, where you don't necessarily have a big score. Um, And I've kind of have heard that in things that kind of, you know, that the music is kind of the crutch that's in a film. The music can make you feel an emotion. So it's kind of put in there to really make you feel... Um, versus just getting the feeling from watching the movie itself. Except for so.
1: Marvel movies, right? Did you? you see right? That yeah, 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 the,
0: yeah. That's good yeah, stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of uh,
0: well, What we're talking about is a <laughs> just for clarity is a, there is a great YouTube channel called Every Frame of Painting. Yep. Um, and in that one of the episodes, uh, the guy who does it, and I I can't remember his name, um, but he does a whole thing on um the movie, the music in the Marvel movies, um, and how there's not really that like um identifiable theme like there would be in indiana jones or star wars yeah. or um you know a film like that
1: but there there is right is, don't they there where is they a use, theme but it's just it's not used effectively so nobody right. really knows right. um yeah he does he does a good job of that and it is it is something i never really thought about but he's right he nailed that
0: yeah and i think sort of a, the one of the cause the last scene of the movie where there is music um that i think is kind of interesting. And I, this is reading way into um, the the difference of the suits, but I think I not, really noticed that Henry Fonda was wearing a white suit at the end of the movie more so than when you said you did, which was at the beginning. Because when he puts
1: on the other guy's jacket. Because he
0: puts on the other guy's jacket, and you have black and white right next to each other, right. and there's that whole like good versus evil type of thing. And not to say that the guy was evil, but essentially, if you were to lump this into generalizations, Jur number three would have been the bad guy of the movie, right. and Jur number eight, Henry Fonda's character, would have been the good guy. Um, and I think it's kind of funny when they are not funny, but the, they leave. I think it was a good shot to show them all kind of walking down the steps. And within a couple seconds, they've all blended into everyone else. They all go a bunch of different ways. Um, I think to kind of comment on the fact that that's this essence of a jury is that everyone comes from all different areas and they're, they don't know each other. It's kind of a random, yeah. Random Except thing.
1: Juror, juror number three is slowly walking down yes, the center of yes, the stairs, yeah. like sad and broken. Uh, like he's the one getting sent to jail, but I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's just like he of, lost. I think of anyone, you think about it, like he definitely, it's funny because, uh, that he does say like, Oh, I'm not an emotion. What did he say? Hold on, I wrote it down where he said, um, cause there's the scene where he said, I'm not, um, I, oh, he said that he's an excitable person. Um, and earlier he did talk about how, um, he doesn't let it like emotions, affect his thing which is yeah which is ironic because he does and there is a part where he's tr- he's talking to um he's talking to one of the other jurors almost as a way where he's trying to convince himself that he's still right he's kind of like laying out like right. the facts of the case again in a way and like trying to say his argument again and i wrote that note and i was like he's trying to convince himself that he's right um and then i think he eventually i mean when he t- i think that's a great scene when he's sort of kind of it all builds up to that whole point with the sun. He just tears that photograph up, and then he just kind of like falls on the table. Um, and it was great because he's just his, hand, you know, he just has his face buried in his arm, and he's kind of like a not,
1: not guilty. Like,
0: yeah, he's just like not guilty. It just kind of just gives up and the defeat. Um, yeah, I thought that was a great, great scene. You no,
1: know, uh, and just no, just a note here. Uh, when the uh, foreman is talking to Henry Fonda about his baseball team. Um, the one he coaches, he also made a comment about the storm. No, it wasn't this storm. He was making a comment about a previous storm Mm -hmm. and, uh, he said it was murder. I don't know if you caught that line.
0: Oh no, I didn't. Describing the previous storm. Yeah, that was good. I
1: I don't know what that means, but it, it was just a kind of a throwaway line there. Huh.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting.
1: I I thought it was funny because they were, they were also doing the play on, you know, somebody saying, I'm going to kill you. Right, right. And they right, also yeah. say like it was murder, and I wonder, like, yeah, how many times do we use like death describing something, and like it's figurative. We're not being literal, but if somebody overheard you saying that, what was he saying? You said you were going to murder somebody. Right. Was, you're talking about murder. Yeah. I don't know. Definitely, yeah. Definitely tricky.
0: No, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I was trying. I, one, one note I just noticed too that I had that it's kind of just out of nowhere here, but that the ad, going back to the ad executive, that he he. There were I was actually surprised. Just there was not a lot as much smoking in this film as I yeah. thought there was going to be. Um there was a decent amount, you would figure. Um but what was interesting to me was that the ad executives uh used a had one of those like cigarette, I'm sure there's a name for it, but he had a cigarette holder. Yep. And no like that just seems so I think that kind of added to his character that he was that like Swanky. out of that extra thing yeah swank I don't even know if it's swanky because I think I think, I feel like I've watched Mad Men and they, they just smoke their cigarettes uh, only the only women yeah. really use those cigarette holders uh, I think that's so they don't get the tar on their fingers
1: yeah well if he's an ad guy and drawing a lot maybe he doesn't want he doesn't want to stain his fingers because he's working on paper all day
0: mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm.
1: yeah but you're right there, there was uh, I think juror three I don't know if it was three I, I remember somebody on his side of the table mm-hmm. lighting one cigarette off of the end of their previous cigarette
0: yeah, um, yeah, that I do remember.
1: And that. juror number one, uh, two had a pipe.
0: Yeah, he did which have he a pipe kept in
1: his front top pocket, which to me seems like a not the place you want to keep a pipe. I assume it would just be spilling all that.
0: I don't know. I never really, used tobacco never really into pipe. your
1: into your pocket. Well, maybe
0: I feel like it's kind of packed in there. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like he was probably the least. Of all of the characters, he was kind of just this interesting guy in a journey number two where he was just He's very kind of quiet. He was really quiet, kind of like a greed. He was kind of, I felt like he was like the little brother, like the little, uh, you know, like the sidekick in in, a, in another show where he just kind of went along with what the other characters were doing and yeah. kind of didn't really add that much to the plot.
1: He did bring him. up one point at, it was, I think it was in, towards the second half of the movie where he brought up a point about, was did he bring up the point about the glasses? No, the old man brought no, up the, the glasses. No, the old man, He did bring up a point about some detail that people kind of agreed with him then. Um, but yeah, he was, for the most part, just kind of overlooked. For having 12 main characters in a room, I think they did a pretty good job establishing these separate personalities. Um, with, I mean, basically, it's just talking. There's no, There's no real action. You know, very little movement in Mm -hmm. the whole movie yeah um it kind of felt like a hitchcock movie where it's you have one set piece and it's the dialogue that's driving you and to establish i mean in a hitchcock movie you probably wouldn't have this many characters Uh, i'm thinking something like dial in for murder where Mm, there's yeah 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 just a handful um and same kind of like one real set piece
0: but i don't think you can really get away with having this many characters in a movie if it, I mean, the movie takes place in one room, essentially. Right. So you're able to have that many characters kind of thrown into one room um, and keep, it's easy as yeah. from an audience perspective to keep track of them because they're not going anywhere.
1: Sure. But I think uh, just establishing their personalities, you know, you're dividing an entire movie by 12 actors. Like they don't get a lot of talking time individually, um, but you still feel like you kind of know the differences between them. Uh I don't know. I, I guess it, it, it's really a, maybe a testament to their acting or the writing, but um, I did feel like all of them were believable people. Uh, I, I also did like at the end, juror number three giving his monologue, um, his final big rant before his breakdown about his son. He calls all the rest of the jurors uh, bleeding hearts, and he calls them that a couple times mm-hmm. throughout the movie. Yeah. And then he starts crying about his son. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. So I think <laughs> I think that that's yeah. That juror number three was definitely. You know, there was a lot of irony that came out of his statements. Everything he said, I feel like you knew was going to come back to the end to be that type of thing. Again, I think it's that he's that man's man, and he knows best. And um,
1: obviously, he doesn't. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm uh, I'm reaching the end of my notes. Is there anything? What is,
0: I wanted to quickly touch on. I don't know.
1: Do you, do you know much about Sidney Lumet? I do not.
0: I don't even know if it's Lumet or Lumet. Um, i
1: pronounce it LeMay, so I hope but, that
0: is um, how to say it. So yeah, I have, um, I guess for the sake of this, that um, I did semi-minor in film study <laughs> in college a long time ago. Oh, it wasn't like me. a great serious thing, but I was kind of really interested in it. So there's some random knowledge that I, base knowledge that I probably have uh, that Jim doesn't. But Sidney um, uh, Lumet, I'm going to go with Lumet. Um, while, th- while this was, I th- believe, his first feature film, um, I'm just going to scroll through his IMDb just to make sure I remember the movies. But, um, you know, uh, he did The Pawnbroker, which was a fantastic film. Um, he did, uh, and these are like his big, his biggest films, of course, would be Serpico. Um, he did Murder on the Orient Express, Dog Day Afternoon, Network. Um, he did the film version of Equus and The Wiz in 78. Um, he did The Verdict, another uh, movie about, um, a courtroom-ish movie, Paul Newman, great movie. Um he did Daniel. And then some of these other movies weren't that great, but one of the last movie he did was, uh, before the devil knows you're dead, uh, which is that, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Ethan Hawke and, uh, Marissa Tomei movie that was okay from 2007. But yeah, I mean, he's a great director.
1: Good, good
0: actor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I do have a, a book. I forget what it's called. Uh, it might be.
1: Are any of those, do we know if any of those are Criterion movies?
0: Uh, I don't think any of them So this are. is his only Criterion? This might be the only Criterion collection movie. That I feel like Equus
1: might, might be. Maybe um. not.
0: Did you have the Criterion? Collection?
1: Oh, you know what? I do. Let me just, uh, I guess I can just type his name in, huh?
0: Yeah, you should be able to. This
1: is this is what makes for interesting um, podcasts. No, you can't type his name in. Um, Equus Uh, is not a Criterion movie.
0: He has The Fugitive Kind and Twelve Angry Men. So The Fugitive Kind was a uh, Marlon Brando 1960, so it would have been after this. Uh, We might uh, put that on the list if one of us decides to uh, (laughs) purchase it, I guess. Um, So I will say that, yeah, we have... um, Jim and I both have a decent amount of Criterion Collection movies. I would say I probably have... Like maybe, I don't know, like 30, 40, if that. Yeah, that may be um, around
1: 10. But it's growing. <laughs> so I have a it's decent, growing. yeah.
0: So um, we're going to go through uh, and watch uh, as many of these movies as we, we can, I guess, and do an episode about each one. Um, I, the, I, I think we're going to get to some movies that we've probably already seen before. Yeah. Um, and I've seen... A couple of a handful of the uh the criterion collection movies that i have so
1: and if you have a favorite uh criterion movie uh, just let us know uh if you've never been to the criterion website it's just criterion.com yep um check it out it's there you want to describe what criterion actually does for
0: yeah so criterion collection the criterion collection is a set of movies um uh they're basically a uh, a company that, for a long time, because I believe they started releasing stuff on laser discs in the '80s, uh, they uh, take older films and newer films um, and uh, you know restore them. Uh, they add a lot of supplements to them. I think that's one of the coolest things about the Criterion Collection. Um, it's something we could even you know talk about discussing at some point. But they're packed with um, special features and interviews. Um, uh, in a lot of cases, there's multiple audio commentaries to the film. Um, especially some, if the director is still alive, they'll they'll have that, um, and they usually include a uh, a pretty thick packet that's included with it that'll include um, sometimes several essays that have been written about the film by um, different film historians or even introductions from directors actors and things like that.
1: You talk about um, alternate like cover art and all that. Do you say that already?
0: Sorry. I did not say that. Yeah, no, they <laughs> do have they do kind of come up with their own cover art to them. Um, I would say that if you, uh, want to buy a set of movies that look really cool on your shelf, the Criterion Collection would be that. Yes. Um, and they are numbered, so you can kind of get into the issue that Jim is, is whether to put them in alphabetical order, the, uh, order of the year that they were released, or numbered order.
1: Whereas I did that by color.
0: Ah, there you go. Yes. Yeah. You could do them by color, too. Uh,
1: and we are not associated with Criterion at all. So. No,
0: yeah, no. We have no, uh, not getting no paid copyrights for here. Yeah. So, um. But yeah, I think that's it. I think that was a pretty, uh, pretty solid first episode. So we'll see, uh, see where we are uh,
1: next time. All right. That's a wrap.